Hello and welcome to the Our Wisdom podcast. I'm Geeta Sundaram from Goa, India, and I'm here to talk to you about all things business, politics, and culture. Thank you for joining me. In today's edition of the Our Wisdom podcast, we'll be looking at countries as brands. as brands. Looking at the ways in which different countries have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, I was prompted to explore if this tells us anything about what kinds of brands these countries are. When looking at countries as brands, we ought to first be aware that brands are the relationships that a set of people have with a country, company, product or service, as may be the case. In the case of countries, people both inside and outside the country become important groups to consider in the sense that citizens would have a certain relationship with their country and foreigners, both tourists and business folk, would have a slightly different relationship with the same country. Simon Anholt, an expert on nation brands and advisor to several governments, believes that nation or place brands are very different from commercial product and service brands in that it is not communication which creates an image for them but how the country acts that determines its brand image. I agree with him on this but I do not agree that it is therefore not the message but the context that becomes the brand in the case of a country. Contexts keep changing whereas what determines a brand's image are what holds true for the greater part of a country's history those unchanging dimensions of a country that define its character and help to shape its future. <coughs> in other words, its culture. <coughs> and when I use the term culture in this context, I do not mean its art and heritage or its popular culture in terms of food and clothing preferences. What I mean is a set of beliefs, attitudes, customs and actions, how the people think, believe, act and behave. These are all surely influenced by the kind of political system of governance a country has, its institutions, its education system, social structure and the nature of the economy, which in turn are also influenced by the dominant culture, which is how a country grows and evolves. A dynamic country shows capacity for change and growth. Buried deep in a country's culture, therefore, are core values the values that define the country's brand image and drive it to act in certain ways. Now let's take the case of the COVID-19 pandemic. From the time it originated in Wuhan in China to its spread across Asia and other countries around the world, we can see that different countries have responded quite differently to the public health crisis. The virus isn't different. It knows no differences between one country and the next. So why did some countries respond with immediate and stringent lockdowns, quarantine rooms, widespread testing, social distancing and other precautionary measures when many others didn't? We'll discuss that after a little break. You're listening to the Our Wisdom podcast on country brands during COVID. Next up, 
we'll be discussing why some countries responded more adequately than others. Welcome back. The countries that responded promptly and decisively to the pandemic were China and other East Asian countries. India too imposed severe and long lockdowns, but more about that later. So did Italy, where the cases were initially confined to the Lombardy region that was the worst affected. Yet Italy was also quick to impose a countrywide lockdown when the first cases outside Lombardy began to appear. Then there were countries that took the virus lightly, initially dismissing it as just another flu or were dilly-dallying waiting for the official scientific opinion and in the process took their time to impose lockdowns, quarantines, social distancing rules, etc. Some even publicly disagreed with their scientists and medical authorities. These were the US, UK, Brazil and Sweden. The last named didn't bother to lock down at all. Between these extremes, you have the other European countries such as France, Germany, Spain, Denmark, Austria that imposed lockdowns and began testing on a massive scale, especially Germany which was successful in testing the most and reporting the fewest deaths and flattening the curve in the least time until a new outbreak unfortunately occurred at a meatpacking plant in Stuttgart. These countries also began reopening their economies in a phased manner. Not only did countries respond differently to the same virus and pandemic, they also went about reopening their economies differently. The most chaotic situations are in the US, I think, where each state has been left to its own devices with hardly any oversight or leadership from the administration. And since the administration itself doesn't believe in lockdowns or social distancing rules, you had its supporters in many states clamoring for an immediate reopening of the economy. Florida was one of the last to announce a lockdown, reopened almost within a week and has seen a surge in, in COVID cases. In India, the way we dealt with COVID has been just the opposite, but the results are no better. The government announced the most severe and complete lockdown, but in the most ill-planned way and we had millions of migrant laborers and their families stranded in the middle of a pandemic with no job and no food or shelter. When they started to return home to their villages, they were brutally beaten up by the police for breaking lockdown rules. Of course, the economic responses across countries have been crucial as well, with governments having to shoulder the burden of resolving both the health and the economic crises, the latter brought on by the former. What struck me was that though the economic and monetary stimulus in the US is the largest, its response to the health crisis is among the worst. This in a country that already spends the most on healthcare as a percentage of its GDP, around 18% to be precise. In the UK, the economic package announced especially for furloughed workers has been the most generous and it is a country that prides itself on its publicly funded NHS. Yet one has to say it was a confused response from the government, especially when it announced its first phase of reopening. 
More importantly, the one constant complaint that never really went away, at least from the news cycle, was that NHS staff didn't have adequate PPE. Both Britain and the US have had among the highest cases of COVID so far, with Brazil now overtaking them. Besides the economic packages and the adequacy of healthcare facilities in various countries, could culture have something to do with it? To help us explore this, I have decided to see the entire coronavirus response through the prism of Geert Hofstede's Cultural Dimensions of Countries, something I have written about before as well on my blog. The World Values Survey too might help us understand this better. And as I record this podcast, the seventh wave of the World Values Survey is taking place around the world. It has in fact been affected by the COVID pandemic and their website says they hope to conclude by March 2021. Interestingly, the World Values Survey website also mentions a COVID-specific values during a crisis survey that they plan to conduct soon. What do Geert Hofstede's cultural dimensions reveal? We'll look at that after this little breather. You're listening to the Owl Wisdom podcast on country brands during COVID. In the last section, we'll be discussing what Geert Hofstede's model of cultural dimensions reveals. Welcome back. Let us now examine how the differences between countries' COVID responses was cultural. If we look at the first set of countries, mostly East Asian, that responded promptly and adequately to the pandemic, we can see that they are all countries with high power distance and long-term orientation, but low on individualism, indulgence and uncertainty avoidance except Japan and South Korea, which are high on the last dimension of uncertainty avoidance as well. What this means in simple terms is that these countries defer to authority, act with long-term gains in mind, put collective interests before self, practice self-restraint, and can handle ambiguity or uncertainty relatively well. You can see how each of these characteristics is important in controlling the pandemic. Control was exerted, People sacrifice their freedoms and pleasures for a while knowing that uncertainty about COVID will linger and through collective action they manage to flatten the curve. You can visit my blog for links to the country comparisons discussed in this podcast section. In the second set of countries, mostly from the West, that didn't respond adequately or promptly to the pandemic, such as US, UK, Sweden and Brazil, we can see that these are countries that are high on individualism and indulgence low to medium on long-term orientation, power distance, as well as uncertainty avoidance. It should come as no surprise that Brazil is an outlier in this grouping, especially on the last three dimensions where it does score high. Simply put, this means that these countries value their individual freedoms and rights over collective interests, are high on indulgence, do not defer easily to authority, are not inclined to think long-term and do not go out of their way to avoid uncertainty. That Brazil is part of this group owes mainly to Jair Bolsonaro's leadership, or lack of it, I think, 
since it is a country that defers to authority and is high on uncertainty avoidance, dimensions that should have ordinarily excluded it from this set of countries. The middling set of European countries that managed to flatten the curve in good enough time, such as France, Germany, Spain and Denmark, can be seen as countries that are high on individualism and uncertainty avoidance, except Denmark, low on power distance except France, with long-term orientation being the highest in Germany and indulgence being the lowest there as well. I think we can safely say that France, Germany and Spain being high on uncertainty avoidance, long-term orientation and low to medium on indulgence, Germany particularly, helped them overcome the crisis. These are just some of the ways countries operate as brands. Most of the time, thankfully, they do not have crises of such proportions to deal with. Yet, it is always a combination of government policy, cultural dimensions, social and economic features, and openness to the outside world that determines a country's brand image. Over a decade ago, I put my thoughts down in a document to arrive at India's brand image as an investment destination for the Confederation of Indian Industry in India. What I arrived at in terms of image for my country was that it was a land of ingenuity, inner wisdom and inspiration. I realized then as I do now and as Simon Anhold rightly says, communication alone will not help. What India needs is a sensible, realistic and competitive long-term industry policy, which we still do not have. Much of the economic facts on the ground have changed. India was then one of the fastest growing economies with annual GDP growth of 8 to 9 percent in 2008 and was attracting FDI at a brisk pace. Today we have slowed to a 4 percent GDP growth economy even before Covid hit us and FDI continues to flow in albeit not in job creating, capacity enhancing industries. I believe the country's brand image remains the same unless we allow our right-wing nationalism and jingoistic protectionism to get the better of us and we really lose out on the world stage. Some of the recent India-China Georgia hints at that, but for the sake of our country and its 1.3 billion people, I hope cooler heads will prevail. China has a China 2025 vision document and a policy to match. India has a $5 trillion economy by 2022 dream and no way yet to achieve it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Stay safe and well wherever you might be. Until next month, it's goodbye from me, Geeta Sundaram, at the Owl Wisdom Podcast. For more Owl Wisdom, read my blog, peripateticperch.com and follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter.